Good morning, everybody. My name is Gene. I am one of the preachers here at Grace Fellowship. A very happy Advent season to you as we think about how God is with us and Jesus has come to be with us. We see a picture of God's heart. And we're going to see more of God's heart as we look in 1 Timothy this morning. Have you ever wondered if God is stingy? Maybe you've thought of God as a God who, who loves, but who sometimes withholds things from you. And maybe in that withholding, he snickers to himself. Knowing that he has complete control to give you what you want, or complete control to be generous with you. Are you tempted to think about God in this way? Is God holding out on you? Is God stingy? Is God holding out on the world? Or is God generous? Is God a God who gives and gives and has a desire to be generous? I've had to wrestle with this a lot myself. Is God generous or is he just being stingy with me? Is he withholding something from me in unfairness? And I'm convinced, and we'll see today in 1 Timothy, that it's the other. God is generous. God's heart and his design affect the way we live life in the church. You can follow along on your outline if you'd like. We're going to be majoring this morning on God's heart and God's design. And especially for those of you who are new, we as a church, we've been going through the book of 1 Timothy It's a New Testament letter from Paul to Timothy, and it's all about how to behave in the household of God, how the household of God should be structured and function, how the church should structure, be structured and function. So we're moving on from chapter one, where Paul, he claims to be the foremost of sinners, and he says, Timothy, I want you to wage the good warfare. Timothy, I want you to remain at Ephesus. I want you to guard against bad doctrine. And now that flows really naturally into what he's doing in chapter 2, where he's going to start laying out how the church should function. And after this morning's passage, Paul, he will move on to talk about church leadership. So you can see that the, the whole letter is just written with how the church should be set up. Paul's instructions for the church. And this morning, like I said, we'll be focusing on on two of Paul's uh, things, God's heart and God's design. If you have one of our church Bibles, uh, 1 Timothy 2 is on page 576. Go ahead and turn there. And as you do, I'm going to pray. Father, would you be with us this morning? Thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus who came to dwell with us, Lord, who who could ever imagine that we could hold God in our hands? That God himself would become a baby to save. And Lord, would you help us to see your heart for us this morning? Would you help us to see your generous desire to give? And Lord, would you change us and mold us into your image? Thank you for Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. Okay, so 1 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to read the whole chapter. First of all, then, 
I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I, Paul, was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place the men should pray lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also, that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Okay, first we see that God's heart affects our life in the church. God's heart affects our life. Paul urges, first, he he talks about prayer. He says, I want prayer, supplication, intercessions, thanksgivings, all types of prayer. I want that to be made in the church. Who does Paul want them to pray for? Verse 1, all people. Verse 2, kings and those in high positions. Why should they pray, Paul? Verse 2. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. Paul wants them to pray for kings, high positions, and all of that, so that they may lead a peaceful and quiet life. But, you might be asking yourself, is that all? Peaceful and quiet life. Surely God has something in mind beyond that. And Paul tells us as we keep reading, why? Would Paul start off with with peaceful and quiet and then go into this five verse description of what the gospel is? He goes into it. Verse three, this praying, he's referencing verse one, this praying in verse three, it is good and it is pleasing in God's sight. This God who desires all people to be saved. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. And the the knowledge is, verse 5, of there being one God and one mediator between God and all mankind. Verse 6, this man, Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. And then Paul caps it off, verse 6, he says, this message, it's a testimony that should be given to other people, shared at the proper time. Verse 7, 
Paul says, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm a teacher of the Gentiles. I teach this testimony to the Gentiles. And all Gentiles means is non-Jews. So this, this testimony should go not only to the Jewish people, but to the non-Jews as well, the Gentiles. It's for all people. God desires all to be saved. So we see that this praying in verse 1, it, it, it's not just about peaceful and quiet life, a peaceful and quiet life. It's so that we can share this testimony that will save. It's about more than peace and quiet. It's about God's desire and God's heart for all people to come into his family. Think about it. God desires. One of his deepest desires is that all people would come to salvation and would be welcomed into his family. That's a generous God. And this section shows us it's it's God using the prayers of his own people to fulfill his heart's desire. The generous desire of his own heart. Peaceful and quiet, it's good because it opens the door for this testimony to go out. It's like a parent saying to you, their child, finish your homework so you can have the remainder of the evening free. I want to play a game with you. The aim of finishing homework is not just to have the evening free, but to have the evening free so that a game can be played. This matters because it shows us God's heart, God's deep desire that all people would come to salvation. It matters because it shows us how to pray as a church. We should pray for peace and quiet. That this testimony, this good news can go forth. So how does this apply? Let's pray that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. That this salvation may go out to all peoples. Pray for that peaceful and quiet life. That salvation may go out. And I'd like for us at the beginning of small group time to to do just that. To take the first couple minutes and pray for these things. Pray for people in high positions, for kings. Pray for a peaceful and quiet life. That God's salvation would go out. Pray for President Trump, for the House, for the Senate. Pray that in their sovereignty over over America, pray the churches and ministries would be able to continue to preach the gospel freely. Pray for your neighbors to come to this knowledge of the truth. Pray that God would use you to share that knowledge of the truth. If you don't desire what God desires, maybe that's a, a, a warning light. God desires all people to be saved. Do you desire that? If you don't, Pray and ask God, God, would you change my heart? I want my heart to be like yours, Lord. I want to to image you in my desires. I want all people to come in to this family. Asians, Japanese, whites, blacks, Muslims, Hindus, upper class, lower class, Americans, Europeans, Australians, all people. All people. 
That's God's heart. Children. This means that if you have friends who don't go to church, God desires them to come to know Jesus and to come into the the family of God with you. Even though they don't go to church right now. Maybe you consider yourself a non-Christian or an agnostic, and maybe this is all very new to you. Did you know that, according to this passage, the Bible claims that there is one mediator between God and men? Not two, not three, not four, but there, there is one. One who unites mankind with God, and His name is Jesus. God's heart affects how we live life in the church. Let's talk about God's design. God's design affects life in the church. So Paul starts off this section the same way he started the first one. He starts by talking about prayer. And he starts by talking to the men of the church. What, at their worst, do men stereotypically do when they get together? They fight. They one-up each other. Men are competitive. They love to one-up each other. Oh, you shot a six-point deer. That's cute. I shot a ten-point. <laughs> oh, you beat so-and-so at this game. Well, this harder game, I beat one, two, three. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm better. <laughs> Men, in their selfishness, they love to do that. And I, I'm a part of that. But God's desire, First Timothy, is for men to pray together in purity. Verse 8, pray with holy hands, not with angry hands or quarreling hands, with holy hands. Men, you can lift angry hands and fight each other, or you can lift holy hands and pray to the Lord together. And God wants the second one. So after a quick verse, Paul moves on to the the women. Now at their worst, what do women typically do when they get together? Wear nice, flashy attire, jewelry, and, and show off, right? Oh, this necklace, it's nothing. In fact, you're impressed? This this is practically worthless. Aren't you impressed with me? Now that's a, a little bit of an exaggeration, but I think the heart is there in, in women sometimes. Can you relate, women? Is your heart for flair and for um, attention, for flashiness? Verse 9, that shows us what God wants your heart to be all about. Good works. Women in the church should not adorn themselves in gold, pearls, costly attire, braided hair, but, verse 10, with good works. Paul says that these women are to dress themselves in godliness, with good works in serving other people. This imagery is really powerful. Women of the church, they are not to be concerned with the outward, not to be all about the writs and glamour and show of costly things. But they are to be dressed, covered, clothed in good works. It's this imagery of the good works covering them as a dress would cover them. That's what they're known for. So, we see Paul 
advocating two things. Prayer for the men, dress for the women. And then Paul changes the subject. He goes on to men, men and women's roles, particularly how it relates to teaching in the church. And this, this is really good to keep in mind as what I'm about to say, because this passage has been abused, even in the church. What Paul's talking about here, it, it's about how to behave in the church. This section is not about how everyone, everywhere, all the time needs to behave. This is not about all women submitting to all men. This is not saying that women can never fulfill any teaching role over any uh, over men in any sphere. Think of a, a classroom environment. It's very biblical for for a man to have a, a woman professor or woman teacher. In this section, Paul, he's talking about the church. He's talking to Timothy about what's appropriate for the corporate church. So in our setting, Sunday morning. And what does Paul have to say? Verse 12 about this this corporate church gathering. Verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Verse 13, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And here, Paul, he's referencing the book of Genesis, the creation of man and the creation of woman. And it says back in Genesis 2 that man took dust of the earth and breathed into the dust and made Adam. And then from Adam, he took Adam's rib and made a woman, Eve. So, Adam was formed first, then Eve. Why would that dictate how teaching is conducted in the corporate church? Well, it speaks about God's created order, God's design. God chose to create Adam first, and then from Adam, he chose to create Eve. The order is woven from the purposeful hand of God. So, we see that the design of creation, it has effects on who should teach and have authority in the corporate church. And then verse 14, Paul in verse 14, he's not saying that Eve sinned and Adam didn't sin. If you've read Romans 5, it's very clear Adam sinned. Adam is the head of the sinning race. But in that sin, in that fall, things were reversed that shouldn't have been reversed. Eve was deceived and gave the fruit to her husband in Genesis 3. Adam sinned. He sinned by taking the passive backseat and letting evil run its course. Letting the command of God be broken. God said, do not eat of this tree. And Adam just he took the back row. Didn't do anything about it. Adam was with Eve when she took the fruit. Genesis 3, 6. And Adam didn't say, hey, honey, I really don't think we should do this. Remember what God said? That serpent, he is a liar and a deceiver. He just went along with it. And that is the pattern that Paul is warning against. 
here in 1 Timothy. He's warning against men taking the back seat and letting evil do whatever it pleases. Paul says that this evil happened and the fall, man fell into sin. And because that happened, it has effects on the teaching of the church. And this matters because it gives us a picture of of God's design. God's design for the church. How does this apply? Not just the, the teaching part, but the whole section. Men, do you pray? I'll start with that question. Do you pray? Do you lift holy hands to the Lord? Or do you lift angry hands, fighting hands? Do you love one-upmanship? Or do you love purity with your brothers as you talk to the Lord together? Women, do you adorn yourselves with good works? What do you care about? Do you, do you care about loving other people and serving other people in good works? Or do you care about flash and glitz and show? Men, particularly men who teach in the church, when you teach, do you take a front seat in your teaching? Do you handle God's word well and with reverence? Or do you shrink back in fear like a slinky? Allowing evil to do whatever it wants. God's design, God's heart, it changes the way we live life in the church. And that's what uh, we've seen this morning. I'm going to pray and then we'll transition to a time of communion. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And it is amazing, God, to reflect on your heart. It is amazing, Lord, to consider that you desire all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth of your Son, Jesus Christ, giving himself as a ransom for all that we would be saved, even though we don't deserve it. God, wow, your heart is generous. We stand in awe of who you are in awe of your character this morning, in awe of your generosity. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ. And God, would you be with us this morning as we continue. In Jesus' name, amen.